The IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. We are hosts from the offerings team here at IBM Cloud. My name is Ian Lynch. And this is Steve Showcat. And today, guys, we're joined by Dan Burke, who is a distinguished engineer with the IBM Cloud Kubernetes team. Dan, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, you're here today to talk to us, and actually, this is our second episode in the mini-series about everything cloud-native. So, last episode, we had Brianna Frank on, who actually came in and talked about a really high-level overview of what Kubernetes is, how does it scale. We talked a little bit about availability and security. But, Dan, today, we're actually here to talk a little bit about the lessons that we've learned from running Kubernetes in production. So, yeah, I'll shoot over to Steve, I guess, for the first question. All right. Hey, Dan. Good to talk to you again. And you know, Brianna sent a really high bar here. So, so I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I, she did. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I'm going to start with an easy one. What kind of lessons did we learn uh, as we took Kubernetes into production? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great one. Thanks for that softball uh, question there. Uh, so obviously, we, we run IBM Cloud Kubernetes service. We run it at scale. Uh, we're running over... 15,000 clusters worldwide. It's a globally distributed uh, system. And you learn a lot when you're running those globally distributed systems. But um, some something that not everyone may know, uh, we actually use Kubernetes uh, to run the Kubernetes service, IKS. Uh, so it's actually built as an extension to Kubernetes. And, and you learn a lot when you do that. You learn a lot about Kubernetes. Um, but one of, the, one of the first things, which was, I, I, so I've been doing this for quite some time, running cloud services and distributed systems. Something that you learn um, from doing that is to always keep your architecture simple. From a, from a cloud native point of view, um, you want to simplify the architecture as much as possible. And you have to question every technology that you bring in. So for us, when we, when we switched over our container service to be Kubernetes-based, we started building it out as an extension of Kubernetes. We always looked at what's the simplest architecture we can put in place that would solve the problem. And, and even to this day, we're constantly looking at what can we take out? What can we remove from the architecture? Even as we add features, there's always some opportunities to remove content from from the architecture. A, a great example, um, earlier this year, uh, we, we replaced the Docker engine with just container D, which is a, a container runtime, a simplified smaller container runtime from the CNCF. It's yet another thing we removed from our architecture to make it simpler. Good deal. I like that. So as you guys did this move, I mean, you talked about over 15,000, you talked about worldwide. I mean, did you do like a thousand at a time or did you do certain regions or did you do, I mean, how did you stage it? Because I can't imagine you went from zero to 15,000 plus in one shot. Uh, right. No, we didn't. We didn't go from zero to 15,000. So uh, 15,000 is what we have under management. Um, the actual service itself that we run, uh, so our, our management plane, if you will, is about uh, 65 clusters worldwide. And even then, those did not just appear out of thin air. Uh, when we first started this, uh, it seems like an eternity ago, we chose 
chose a single location uh, in IBM Cloud to prove out the technology and, and scale it up. Uh, as we developed the architecture for one of the regions to get a global reach, we had to go out to the other regions. So uh, we quickly went from in the U.S., we started off with uh, Dallas, we moved into Washington, D.C., uh, and then we went into Europe with London and Frankfurt and then broadened out to the other regions. So we really focused on our regional footprint. Uh, and then once we had that in place, we actually started to get very good about provisioning and setting up and, and bringing online new data centers. Um, so at that point, we just every month we started choosing, OK, what's the next location we're going to go into? Uh, or the set of locations. And we were putting in probably two or three uh, new locations every month. For about a year, <laughs> we would do this um, until we reached, I think we're in 34 locations at this point. Um, so it takes time, but the key is you have to automate all of that. So the automation is critical so that it becomes a cookie cutter experience, that you're just stamping out new instances. Um, using a standard automation pattern. I like that cookie cutter analogy, Dan. So can I ask you a little bit to step back up, right? So you talked about the architecture and when you redeploy architecture, you're able to shave little pieces off here and there. Does that is that simply to create efficiencies for IBM or are they transferred onto the customer and the user as well? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. Uh, so for us, uh, running IKS, so running IKS, especially at that scale, having snowflakes or specializations for a given customer or a given cluster is pretty much not allowed. I mean, we, we don't do it because snowflakes actually hurt not only the fleet, but it hurts other customers as well. It, it, it adds a level of potential destabilization that we don't want to do. We're, we, we are highly standardized and that high standardization allows us to have um, several tens of thousands of clusters that are very consistent. Our automation is extremely consistent. So we don't do, we don't do the snowflakes and we don't do variations um, and specializations on a per customer basis or a per cluster basis. Uh, we even take this to the extreme that as we, like, for example, when we remove Docker and just support container D, we did it to simplify the automation, to simplify the scale, scale being like operational scale, things we have to take care of in the system. But it also in, introduced uh, a level of a, a bump in performance improvement for our end customers. So it's, it's a little bit of both, right? It's, it's good for the architecture. It improves the stability of the fleet. And at the same time, it adds value to our customers. OK, so let's talk a little bit about oh, actually before I do that, Dan, can I ask a maybe a very basic question? Because you're here to help me understand everything about cloud native. So what's a snowflake? Ah, snowflakes. <laughs> snowflakes are evil. They're very, very evil. Uh, so basically, a snowflake would be um, a customer is using your service and they like it for the most part. But then they say, you know what, I have a very specialized set of workloads and I need customized kernel uh, adjustments, just uh, as an example. And we don't expose that, potentially expose that setting for them. But if we go through and put in like 
uh, a special uh, path for that customer so that they can make an adjustment. And then we do it again for another customer and again for another customer. Those become snowflakes that don't adhere to our standardized API um, capabilities and standardized patterns of deployment. And, and what usually ends up happening with those snowflakes is twofold. One, they start to become decrepit because it's a path that's not being tested all that well, and it's not one that's fully supported by the system, and therefore it's a one-off and people forget about it. So it starts to fail and is not as well uh, tuned and tested as the rest of the system. Um, the other disruption that it could cause is a snowflake condition like that could impede and cause, in the worst case, uh, adverse effects for the rest of the fleet, other clusters, because it's a path that wasn't fully tested. It was a special one-off that had disruptive consequences on the rest of the fleet. So all in all, snowflakes are, are extremely bad situations within, within an architecture and should be avoided at all costs. I'm going to go with calling them evil. That sounds much better. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's talk a little bit about the kind of the tools that you need to get everything done when you're talking around cloud native, like so load balancing, security, reliability, monitoring. Talk us through a little bit about that. Is it a, the same generic set? Well, I wouldn't say generic, right? So you talked around standardization. Is it the same status standard tools that would be used also? Well, so the interesting thing is uh, within IBM Cloud, uh, we actually use the IKS service for the other cloud services. Um, so many of the cloud services are building their functionality on top of IKS as a platform. And the reason why they do this is partly due to the cloud native experience that they get, because it provides them with the ability to, through APIs and a CLI, to provision and manage their clusters in multiple locations without having to have a large team to do that. And what this allows them to do is use standardized Kubernetes capabilities, which are baked in and supported by IKS, to stand up not only their compute, but also do network segmentation, load balancing and ingress controls, uh, as well as setting up their persistent storage. And all that can be done through a declarative model in Kubernetes and the extensions uh, made available by IKS. So this is, it, ultimately it makes it makes simple tasks um, of setting up the environment and securing the environment possible with the IKS cloud native services and capabilities from Kubernetes. So at the end of the day, these teams, they're able to quickly stand up these new environments and still meet compliance regulations because they don't have to go use additional one-off tools or deploy their own load balancers and set up their own certificates and set up DNS. All of that is being done by the service. So we, we do encapsulate a lot of the functionality to get your service up and running and compliant and secure. And that's all down to standardization, right? So we throw a massive spanner into the work stand down when we start to bring in the whole microservices element, right? Because that's an awful lot more to manage. Or does it, that follow it, the same analogy of standardization? Well, it does and it does not, right? Because when you're moving into cloud native, um, you're taking advantage of cloud services, but you're also taking advantage of more more agile DevOps practices, which almost always includes, as you move into the cloud, containers and microservices. So smaller units, easier to manage, easier to deploy, faster to deploy, more agile, 
all good buzzwords, right? Um, but the problem with this is to make them highly available and resilient, you have lots of them, um, many, many replicas, many instances of these microservice uh, implementations and instances. And that can become very complicated to, to manage um, and, and very difficult. Now, Kubernetes and IKS provide the basis for managing what, what I consider the, the lifecycle management of those microservice containers. So the deployments, the updates, basic load balancing and ingress, those kinds of things. But as you really get into it and start scaling, you're going to have to deal with other issues like uh, the observability, understanding what's deployed and where, uh, securing uh, your communication between your, your microservices, uh, doing better scaled out or rollout of changes so that you can do things like feature flagging, which we're a big fan of. We do feature flagging a lot. So we deploy into production, but we hide it from most people. Um, and that's easily done or more easily done with additional tooling. And, and that's where we bring in the notion of a service mesh into your cloud native architecture. And, and a popular service mesh, the one that we work with and we work on and make available is called Istio. And, and Istio is a cloud native open source project um, led by IBM and Google for managing microservices through uh, this notion of a, a service mesh network. Um, that you can program and configure for uh, setting up and communicating your your microservices. You know, Dan, everything that you've just said tells me that 10 or 15 years ago, it was much harder to do production level environments in like complex orchestration back then, as opposed to it is today. Is it an easier job today or is it just mean we can bring more value? Uh, it's <laughs> It's a little bit of both. I mean, 10 years ago, you, you probably weren't, you weren't doing cloud native. You were doing distributed systems, but even then those distributed systems were more monoliths. Um, so the actual packaging and deployments, they weren't heavily distributed individualized units. So they were actually in some cases easier um, because you didn't have to deal with the cloud. You didn't have to deal with uh, deploying into another data center. It was always deployed into your your own data center. So it was very well controlled uh, environments. But it's a double-edged sword, right? Because of that, it was generally slow, stodgy, very difficult to get things out. Um, you weren't moving very quickly. Um, cloud native changes the game here. You can move incredibly fast by leveraging the cloud services, the API-driven aspects of setting up your infrastructure, your environment, your platform, and managing the full lifecycle. But in order to get a highly available, highly resilient system, it's got to be heavily distributed. So while, it, while some things are easier to really take advantage of and make a highly uh, available application, you do have to understand the cloud architecture and you do have to deploy a lot uh, in order to do that. Um, so it does, is it easier today? I'll just say having the cloud native services makes things getting started and developing and deploying your first set of applications much, much, much simpler. Scaling and making things highly available and resilient to all kinds of failures, that is still difficult, right? Uh, and, and it almost always will be. So it's a give and take. 
Uh, would I go back 10 years ago and try to continue to develop that way? No way. Uh, once you've got the bug with cloud native and you, you, you expect to be able to make all kinds of infrastructure changes and platform changes with just a simple CLI call, uh, having that level of control is, oh, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's quite exciting and, and liberating and you're probably as a developer not going to want to go back to opening up tickets to get things done and having it to wait hours, week, days, weeks, months for that to, ticket to be done. So you're not predicting a comeback of punch cards, huh? I am not. However, it is funny. I do have a punch card hanging up on the wall in my office just as a reminder of uh, days long ago. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to go to the Smithsonian to, to check it in or something. <laughs> I will. So, so, um, so as we kind of get towards the end here, uh, Dan, other than the, the one point I think both Ian and I stuck in our head, which is that snowflakes are evil, evil um, what would be like two quick walkaway points that, that you know, you'd want someone to listen, you know, and, and, and kind of walk away and gather the, from our discussion earlier? Yeah, so one, definitely as you adopt cloud native, and you're building out your application, keep it simple, keep the architecture simple, always look for ways of removing content, removing components from your architecture in order to keep it simple, because simple architectures are, and standardized architectures are easier to deploy and maintain and scale um, over time. The other aspect of this, uh, and of this whole story is, and it relates to keeping it simple is, um, you, you can keep things simple by reducing what you deploy and what you have to manage, right? The less, and this was a big lesson that I learned on, on the team um, building out IKS. The less you have to deploy, obviously the less that will fail, the less that you have to manage and keep up to date. So whenever possible, if there is a cloud service that you can take advantage of, definitely take advantage of the cloud service if it meets all your um, functional and non-functional needs versus expecting that you have to deploy everything yourself and and um, keep it up and running. Great example, databases. If you need a database in the cloud, odds are there's a cloud service. IBM Cloud Databases is a great example. We utilize IBM Cloud Databases as a database service so that we don't have to deploy all of our databases and maintain them and keep them backed up, do the recovery, DR, all of that. So keep things simple and whenever possible, deploy less by using cloud native services. And automate like crazy. Automate like everything's automated, yes. <laughs> so in the words of Dan Burke, distinguished engineer at IBM, keep it simple and less is more. Is that correct, Dan? That is absolutely correct. Awesome. Take advantage of the cloud. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on. And I know we will have you back on again in the rest of this mini series. So guys, hold tight. Dan's not really going very far. Um, in the next episode, guys, we're actually going to start talking around a little bit about the culture shift towards cloud native, what kind of tools we're using, the different ways and methodologies that we're using and approaching and really attacking how we're developing today. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be coming to us in the next episode. But as for myself and Steve, as always, guys, and of course from Dan, thanks a mil for joining in. See you next time on the IBM Cloud Podcast.